HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a nonprofit with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Change menus, change lives. Learn more at chefscollaborative.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, a cooking store located at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Please take a moment to like the show on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts, and feel free to reach out if you have any questions. You can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on social media at thefoodballer. This is a pre-recorded episode. Uh, today is actually Monday the 30th. It will you, you, if you are listening to this when it airs, it will be February 8th, 2017. Today's episode number 62 of Feast Your Ears, and I'm very pleased to welcome today David Bain from the Outside Inn, which is a restaurant in Sierra Vista, Arizona. David, thanks for joining me. You're very welcome, Harry, and thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely, I think we're going to have a we're going to have a good time. So, uh, just to sort of let the listeners know, you and your wife Dawn uh, bought the restaurant that was already a restaurant, but it became the Outside Inn about 23 years ago. Is that right? Well, actually, Harry, it had been a restaurant at one point, but it had sat vacant for a couple of years. There were some folks that were in the area that um, got into wine growing, uh, mm. grape growing, and so they, while they were waiting for their grapes to mature long enough, they did a little restaurant. Um, and then once their their grapes got to maturity, then they closed the restaurant down, hoping to bring folks over about 40 miles away from where the restaurant was to the vineyard. So when we took the property over, it had been sitting vacant for close to three years, as uh-huh. a matter of fact. So you basically started back in 93 with a with a space that needed a needed a renovation to create the outside in. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I mean, it's amazing because when we took the property over, and I don't even know how health codes let them get away with it, but the kitchen still had formica green um, countertops in it and wooden <laughs> cabinets. I mean, it was, it, was, it was hardly even a commercial restaurant. Uh, but, you know, things were, things were different 25 years ago. So uh, we changed it out and made it all absolutely professional. 
uh, surfaces, uh, you know, did everything that we had to do to bring it up to code. I had been in corporate management previously, and uh, there were just some ethos that I had that said, look, this is, this is not proper. This is not the way to do it. So we, we uh, updated it, had to do water and plumbing and drainage and telephone and electric and, and everything to actually make it so that it was a restaurant. And tell me a little bit about, so, so when you started the outside in, what was the, what was the vision for the restaurant? You and Don were both already working in, in the restaurant industry, right? Correct. Uh, you know, our, I think it's pretty concise, Harry. What I can say is that our goal for the restaurant was we never wanted to be the busiest restaurant in our area, merely the best. Right. And, uh, and, and, and we have kind of let that be our, our guiding principle all along. Uh, a lot of times when people come to this area, they expect that they're not going to get upscale fine dining food. And, uh, you know, we get a lot of eco tourists that come to the area for, for birding, um, uh, different events of that nature. And when they come, they're pleasantly surprised to find a restaurant of our caliber in the area rather than having to eat what I lovingly refer to as not having to eat cowboy beans and Texas toast, as you would think <laughs> you might have to get here. Sure, sure. When I, when I was, uh, I used to do a lot of work on the road. I used to tour a lot. And uh, we always used to talk about when we would leave the cities, we'd be eating at a, a lot at apostrophe S restaurants. Yeah, right. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, you know, we, we've had a really good run of it for, for 23 years. And, and we're going to get into this, this aspect of the contest of it. And one of the things that I say is, you know, we're not getting out of it because we're unhappy with the restaurant business or we had a bad review or, you know, we have employee anarchy or anything like that. Conversely, everything is going very well for us. And, and, and one of the reasons is because things are going so well, we just found this as a natural progression to to allow someone else to enjoy what it is that we're doing well i think it's a, i think it's a fascinating story so tell the listeners about about the contest what is the structure of the contest well uh the structure of our contest harry is that uh first off let me go back and, and say i know that there are hundreds if not thousands of people who are every bit as talented and capable and qualified as i am but they'll just never have the opportunity to have their own place because in this day and age to put the financial wherewithal together and find a location and build it out and, and you know, meet with all zoning and, and law requires and then build up a reputation and buy a stove and buy a refrigerator, sure. put in a walk-in, et cetera. And, and so what we want to do is we are asking someone to write a 200-word essay on why they would like to own their own restaurant. And the winner, which will be chosen by an independent panel, um, will end up getting over an acre of property with 135 feet of highway frontage, our 2,000-square-foot building, every pot, pan, plate, dish, inventory, stove, everything that, everything that could possibly be used to, to run a restaurant, uh, and they will get it. And one of the things that we decided to make this even more interesting, Harry, is that... Uh, the person who we actually choose to be the winner, we're going to give them back their money. We're going to give them back their $125 oh, that's great. for writing the essay. So someone is going to get a restaurant for nothing. For I mean, I love nothing. I love the idea of it. I love the idea of lowering the barrier to entry because you're right. I mean, it, it gets harder and harder and harder, no matter where you are, to open a, a business of your own. You know, much less a restaurant. The the hurdles to opening, as you stated, are huge. You have to have funding. You have to have staffing. You have to have equipment. You have to find a location. You have to talk to government agencies. You have to pass a whole bunch of you know a, a bunch of uh, inspections and so 
the idea that someone, you know, so that weeds out so many people, as you say, who are so talented and could run a great restaurant. And I think it's a, you know, I think it's a, I think it's incredible. I also have to say that as a, as a small business owner myself, I love, you know, I think a lot about what, what does the sort of sunset look like? I mean, I, you know, I'm not quite as far along in my career of business ownership as you are, but it's an important thing. And a lot of us and a lot of my peers don't think about what are we going to do when we don't want to run this anymore and we want to do something else in our lives, whether that's retirement, whether that's travel, whether it's move closer to your children, whatever choice that is that you need to make, how do you do it? You can't, you know, and, and obviously the idea of shutting the doors and just sort of locking it up and walking away, you know, there's a certain amount. I think of legacy there. You guys have a, a successful brand, a successful restaurant that's run for a long time, and this is a nice, it's a great way to continue that. You're absolutely correct on that, Terry. And one other thing that, uh, to, to your listeners and that you understand, that I understand, um, one, of, one of the givens in the restaurant industry is that independent operations that open up, uh, you know, you'll hear a range anywhere between 65 to 95 percent of those businesses will close in the first year. And then maybe an additional 50 or 60 percent will close in the second year yep. because it's just it's difficult as an independent operator. We've been in operation for 23 years. One of the things that the person that takes this over, they already have built-in presence. I mean, the people mm-hmm. are familiar with them. They, they know where to go. We have, um, you know, we have a, a large group of guests that follow us and come to us and people, whether they live in town or when they're come in and visit and they say, you know, we have a big event that's coming on this weekend, um, a, a poet's convention that's going on. And there are people that we see year after year after year that make reservations for groups of 8 and 10 and 12 and 15, etc. So so it's that longevity that we're able to pass on to people also. And so it's not like you're starting a business up from from fresh, from, from right. scratch, and then, and then the uncertainties that come along with it. Do you think that, uh, you know, will you, are you planning to leave uh, Sierra the Vista? Area? Yeah, are you planning to leave the area when, when no. the transition happens? No, we love this area. I mean, I, I could not be higher of the area. I'm originally from Chicago. My wife is originally from Boston. And if you had asked us 40 years ago when we first got married if we ever envisioned being in southwestern Arizona, our answer would have been a resounding no. <laughs> and now we almost can't imagine a more ideal place to be, uh, to tell you the truth. I mean, we're just we're so high in the area. And once we get done with it, uh, you had mentioned before about what to do in that <laughs> sunset of your times and and we both have some causes that are near and dear to our hearts i actually would like to before i did this i was in the construction industry i'd like to build homes with habitat for humanity Mm. for people here my wife would like to uh, get involved with a a domestic women's shelter for battered women and abused children and things of that nature so you know we have some things that will occupy our time as well as other things you mentioned going to visit our kids and you know various other things well, it sounds it sounds like you're gonna you're gonna keep yourselves certainly very busy. I'm I uh, I'm wondering if uh, you know with the with the incoming owner, um, you know, is there going to be any kind of an interim period? Are you going to kind of pass along the information and sort of show them what your day to day looks like? I guess it sort of may depend on who the who the winner is ultimately. Or are you just going to hand him the keys and? You're absolutely correct about that, Harry, and I have often thought about this in the last couple of months that obviously we will have an outside in you, for lack of a better term. (laughs) You know, I mean, I'll sit down with people as long and as much as they possibly would like. One of the problems with being an independent operator, and I don't view it as a problem, but in this certain scenario, I'm a big personality, and we have have become synonymous with the name and the face of the restaurant. So someone that comes in and takes over... I don't want one of our guests to say, hey, Dave, what, why, what wine would you recommend with this meal? It's no longer my restaurant. Right. So, 
So, you know, it's like I'm willing to give as much or as little help as the person needs, but obviously <clears throat> I know there will be a transition period where, you know, you want to get people familiar with what insurance company to use and how to apply for a tax ID number and, you know, things, things of that nature, what credit card processor is the best one. And, and then beyond that, I mean, it's a matter of, like, stepping in and saying, okay, my chef is going to prepare every single dish that we make. Now it's up to you. You can keep them. You can yeah. get rid of them. You can do whatever. And, Harry, one of the other things about this, um, while what we're giving to someone is a space and a location and a reputation um, and, and a proven track record, anyone who enters this contest or consequently wins, they're not under any obligation to do what it is that we're doing. Sure. You know, and, and that's kind of one of the interesting things about it. If someone comes and they decide that they want to do a tapas-type bar or they yep. want to do a, uh, a beer brewery, something like that, you can do anything. I mean, the property is zoned right. for commercial, so it's, it's not that you have to do what we want to do. Obviously, we'd love to see it stay that way, but if someone has different ideas, well, then all the power to them. Yeah, and I, I've, I noticed uh, in, in doing a little bit of research, I mean, it seems like you've gotten some great press about the contest. How's the, how's the response been? Have you gotten in a number of essays so far? It's Yes, it's going quite well, That's as great. a matter of fact. Uh, you know, really, um, we have been interviewed by CBS Television, NBC, Fox. Uh, I actually, National, the NRA, National Restaurant Association, yep. just reached out to us today and said, hey, we want to help you and we want to put you on your social media. So, um, as a matter of fact, two days ago, <laughs> our website was viewed in Mongolia. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's outer Mongolia or if that's <laughs> inner Mongolia, sure. but nonetheless, it's, it's, it's pretty awe-inspiring to think that Something that can start with such a small idea can have such a far-ranging reach. And just so, just so, uh, just so everybody knows, where where can people find out? Where what is the website to go to to look to look this up? Well, we made it as easy as possible, and it's restaurantessaycontest.com. Awesome. Um, that's great, and also, I mean, you can find the Outside In also has a has a Facebook uh, presence. Um, there's a, in fact, a much longer interview than we will get to do today uh, that shows up on there uh, that I watched. That I watched a large a large portion of. Um, one of the things I think when looking at this, and when I started to think about this, I thought, oh, what a cool idea, you know, giving away your business to someone who's interested and sort of vetting them in, in a really kind of interesting way. Um, but what, one of the things I didn't think about is all the details, right? That as an owner-operator, you know, you know, why that light sometimes doesn't turn on, or you know, you know, how to close the door in the back when it's really cold outside, and things like that. And I right. realized that you have a lot of work ahead of you to kind of put together all of those details for the person who's coming in, almost like an operating manual. Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're, as I begin to make lists of the things that I want to share with the new owners, uh, it becomes voluminous. Yeah. It's just, you know, and, and there are things that after 23 years we just kind of take as a day-to-day, -day and it's just like, okay, well, you know, this happens, and this is the day that we clean the hoods, and yep. this is the day that the delivery person comes. And, you know, but for someone else who's starting out at scratch, it's, you know, it's that old adage that you have to crawl before you can walk. <laughs> of course, yeah. So uh, I want to uh, I want to go back a little bit and hear a little bit more about you and your sort of journey of how how you ended up going from Chicago uh, and ending up in Arizona. There was a, a uh, an anecdote I I heard you start to tell in an interview about leaving home with a backpack and six dollars in your pocket. Um, <laughs> tell tell me tell me about that. Well, um, I, I was actually 15 years old. I was living in Chicago at the time um, with, with my mom and, and my dad, and uh, we kind of, I, I was sort of a wayward youth. I mean, I wasn't like total trouble, but, uh, but I, I, wasn't the, I wasn't the child probably that I should have been. And then now, in looking back 40 years back, I mean, I, I regret it, but that experience helped to change me who, 
who I was. And so uh, I left home. My mom and I had some words, and I left home. And uh, I ended up going to live on a commune in Tennessee for a period of time. And that was when I had my $6 in my backpack. And on my trip where I was hitchhiking from Chicago to Tennessee, uh, I spent two nights in a hotel, and I had three meals, and I still had my $6. Hmm. Which leads me to believe that you meet people in your life for, for a reason. You know, and, 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 and there's, there's good in everybody, and, and good things happen. So uh, I was at the commune for a period of time and uh, then decided to go back to Chicago, and I went to work at the Board of Trade in Chicago. Um, and uh, then the next journey that happened is that we were on our summer vacation. A friend of mine said, well, let's go out to Colorado. And we did. We took a driveway car, meaning we drove someone else's car from Chicago to Denver and uh, kind of bummed around Colorado for a while. And I got a job as a restaurant. and. I worked the first day, and the guy said, you know, you're the gosh darn best dishwasher I've ever had in my life, and I'll give you $100 if you'll stay for two weeks. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm traveling with a partner, but, uh, uh, you know, let, let me talk to him. Lo and behold, I ended up staying there. It was in Telluride, Colorado, and I was there kind of at the cusp before it got to be a huge ski area, uh, and, it, and it went through a lot of growth. And... Uh, in turn, it led to me opening up, beginning one trucking company, and then we had another trucking company. So we had two different trucking companies while we were there, and uh, and I took a took a detour from the restaurant business, but it was something that I always knew and enjoyed and loved. And uh, an opportunity several years later posed came about for us to uh, get a place. Actually, we bought a restaurant off of somebody that was. Uh, just outside of the ASU campus, and I think you probably heard about that in the in the interview if you saw that part. Yep. And, and you know, we had live music seven nights a week. We were instrumental in getting some nationally known bands um, recognition at the time in their infancy. The Gin Blossoms uh, were one of the very first ones that played with us and mm -hmm. went on to national fame. And and and, and it's been really rewarding. Um, we're gonna we're gonna take a short break. Um, when we come back, though, I wanna I wanna touch on. Um, I would love to hear your, um, I guess, ideas or suggestions to people who are thinking about becoming entrepreneurs, because it sounds like you've been kind of a serial entrepreneur, and I want to touch on that. Okay. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Chefs Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chefs Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters, who acknowledged the influential role of food professionals on our food choices, our collective personal health, the vitality of cultures, and the integrity of the global environment. Chefs Collaborative believes that the greater culinary community can be a catalyst for positive change by expanding the market for good food and helping to preserve local farming and fishing communities. Change menus, change lives. Learn more about Chefs Collaborative at chefscollaborative.org. And uh, we're back. So uh, if you're just joining us uh, today, I have David Bain on the phone from Sierra Vista, Arizona. His restaurant, The Outside Inn, is available to anyone who is willing to put down on paper 200 words about why they would like to own their own restaurant. 
Um, and if you send that essay and $125 to David and his wife, Dawn, uh, the contest ends, David, let me make sure I have this correct, at the end of April. Is that right? Correct. That is correct. So if you send that in by the end of April uh, and you your essay is the winning essay, you, in fact, will get to have a restaurant of your own. You will get to take over the outside in, uh, and it's the property there, and it will become yours, and you will get to have your own restaurant. So before the break, we were t- sort of talking about your own sort of personal journey, um, and you'd said that you, you started as a dishwasher, and that was kind of how you got into restaurants like, like many of us do. Um, my first job in, in high school was washing dishes in a deli. Um, and that's how sort of that was my first foray into food. But then you said you got into trucking. Um, and so I'm, I'm interested to know, um, as someone who is also kind of a serial entrepreneur, I can't help myself but come up with ideas and things to do and collaborations. And, and um, you know, do you have anything in, that you sort of look back on having run different businesses that you see as a through line? in those? Is it wanting to work for yourself and have that kind of freedom? Is it finding a niche and sort of the, 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 uh, sort of, uh, happiness or kind of, you know, feel good when you kind of feel it and you've solved a problem? Well, Harry, I mean, I think that it's a lot of those things. Uh, I think that people that are drawn to entrepreneurialism, um, tend to be serial entrepreneurs. They're always thinking of different ways, uh, you know, how to, how to create, how to tinker, how to make things better. I think that it's also a character flaw or possibly a character strength, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. You know, the fact is that, you know, I'm every bit as smart as this person that I'm working for, and yet I'm working for them for X amount of dollars per hour when I could be the one that's in charge and run this. And, and it doesn't matter whether it's a trucking company or whether it's a restaurant or whether it's a coin-operated laundry machine, laundromat. It could be anything. It's, I, I think that there's... There's something in our nature of those of us who are entrepreneurs that we we have an infinite belief in our own abilities. Now, sometimes they're wrong, but but that doesn't. I'm, and, and I've had some some failures. I mean, sure. I've tried some other operations that, that didn't work out as well. But when I look back at those, I still can say to myself, in some way, shape, or form, I quantified as a success. Uh, and one was a restaurant that we did, and it's like, well, this didn't it didn't exist at all, and I. I created the idea, I created the menu, I found the space for it, et cetera, et cetera. And those are all challenges. And, and I think that any of us who have that entrepreneurial gene like that challenge and, and th- relish and thrive on that, the fact of the challenge that, that comes about of that. Absolutely. And I think, I think those of us that sort of think that way also, I mean, I've had some failures too, and it's not about seeing them so much as failures. It's, in, it's, in, it's important to understand when a business isn't going to succeed. Um, and actually, it's valuable to get out of it and to close it. But, you know, every time that I've had that happen, I've learned as much, if not more, than from the successes. I wholeheartedly agree with, with that aspect of it. And, and one of the other things, too, that I can say is that sometimes becomes something because something is not necessarily a financial success doesn't mean that it was a failure at the same time. I mean, it, it still could be a success, but it didn't. You may be ahead of the curve. You may be behind the curve. You may have had some wrong ideas about how to do it. And, and I'm not just speaking about my history. I'm just speaking in general. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, about it. Uh, is there any food uh, that you miss from growing up in Chicago or the Midwest, living I, I in you, living in Southwest Italian Arizona? Sandwiches yeah. is, the, is the number one item. I'll, I'll tell you. Growing up, I grew up uh, in, in Chicago, and, and there was a little place called Johnny's, um, which was just a little hole in the wall Italian beef sandwiches run. I mean, by Italian folks, and they had Italian beefs. Italian sausages, and from the time they opened the door up at 11 a.m. in the morning, 
they would have a line out the door. And there wasn't even a place to sit. There wasn't even a bathroom. I and mean, people just came, and, and they understood that aspect of it and, and took it. And, um, and now, whenever we happen to fly back to Chicago, our very first stop is, is there. <laughs> the most amazing thing about it is the fact that this, this establishment, Johnny's, has been recognized as like having one of the top Italian beefs in all of Chicago. And little did I realize as a kid while I was eating and enjoying this, I just thought that they were Italian beef sandwiches. I didn't realize that I grew up around the culinary master vision of Italian <laughs> sandwiches. So, <laughs> so I was pretty fortunate in that. And uh, good Chinese food also, you know, really, really gets it for me. There were some great places there. Um, you know, I mean, I just, I, I love to eat, period, although as I get older now, you know, I mean, I used to love red sauce, uh, love, love gravy, yep. but my system just doesn't handle it as well as I used to, so you begin to find other things that you enjoy every bit or more. And, and then, uh, and then I would ask you, as a as a chef who moved to Southwest Arizona, um, you know, what is your favorite local ingredient to there that we may not, that we may not even be able to have good access to up here in the Northeast? Well, you know, we do a lot of things uh, with prickly pear cactus. Uh, uh-huh. Prickly pear cactus makes has has a great color to it. You just have to be dangerous, uh, careful because the 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 stickers are so dangerous sure. to you. You have to grab them with a uh, with a set of tongs and then and then boil them down. But I mean, we make prickly pear cheesecake. You can make great prickly pear sauce reductions with it, and it has the most beautiful red color. Uh, I mean, almost kind of like a chartreuse sort of color to it, and it's just it's fantastic. Um, it sounds it sounds delicious. It's actually not something that I think I've ever had, so I'll have yeah. to see if I make it down that way. I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that I'm going to make it to uh, Sierra Vista before the uh, before the changeover happens with the outside in. Um, what are what are your favorite things on the menu uh, currently? Well, I guess that I would say uh, we, we have two dishes that we've had ever since our restaurant has opened up, which have never changed. And and whereas you know some of my favorites they may change from time to time and if we have time i'll tell you about this but uh we do a macadamia encrusted mahi mahi with a pineapple berblanc and there are a lot of people that come in the restaurant and 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 at least half a dozen times if not more they'll have said to me you know we were just in hawaii two weeks ago and we didn't have mahi that was this good <laughs> and then we also do a um steak au poivre, which is a new york strip steak with hand packed with uh crushed black peppercorns and just about in our when we first got started, uh, we have a guest book that we pass out to to our guests after they're done with their meal to offer any comments, positive or negative. And someone in the book said, "Your steak au poivre is the equivalent of Lutess, if not greater." <laughs> and you know, I knew what Lutess was. Sure. Uh, you know, and probably a lot of your listeners in New York will know what it is also. Um, but uh, you know, I, I thought, well, this is just about the highest commendation that we could possibly have. Yeah. Um, you know, we use a special supplier, and, and you may have possibly mentioned, heard me mention it on my interview previously. Uh, we get our beef from Harris Ranch in California, yep. and this is a producer that uh, they do everything from, from start to finish with the exception of the delivery. And people will come in and say, you know, your, your, your fillets and your New Yorks are just, you know, over-the-top outstanding. Um, one of my other great, great dishes that we have is that, uh, that I really enjoy is our... Um, Lamb chops, lamb loin chops with mm-hmm. a ruby red vinaigrette, and, uh, and and the mint from it comes from my garden. Um, on our Facebook page, I had mentioned the fact that uh, uh, I've been an, a gardener for several years now, and uh, one of the greatest joys is going out to your garden each day and deciding, well, what's fresh, what's ready to go, and uh, and then cooking with that, decide, let, letting that dictate what it is that you're going to serve for the day um, and offer to your guests. 
And um, for those that, and I know that what a huge thing the farm-to-table is nowadays. Right. The restaurant actually has an ample space for someone who, and we alluded to this also at our website, if someone wanted to do their own gardening, I mean, you have the ability to make your own compost there, make your own dirt there, and, and have the ultimate in farm-to-table restaurant. Yeah, I mean, the, the radio studio that I'm sitting in right now is inside two shipping containers, on top of which, when it's not 30 degrees outside like it is now in New York, <laughs> uh, we're, we're located behind Roberta's uh, restaurant here in Bushwick, and they have uh, tomato plants on top of the two shipping containers. Yeah. So. You know, I mean, and I, in the last couple of years, and, and a lot of things that I have tried to grow, uh, you know, was, was for effect. I mean, I, I grew patty pan a couple of years ago, and while they did well, I mean, they didn't do well enough. And so sure. I said, okay, well, we'll chalk that one up and we'll put that one up to the side. I did okra one year, and then I realized that okra grows so plentiful. I mean, unless you lived in Cajun country, you could never go through the amount of okra that you don't, right, you don't that have you customer grow. base. So, yeah. so again, that kind of goes back to the trial and error, failure, and uh, and the maybe back even to the sense of entrepreneurialism that we talked about. Well, I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk today. I want to remind everybody that uh, it's a really interesting opportunity that, uh, you know, ending at the end of April, if you write a 200-word essay about why you would like to own your own restaurant and you send it to David and uh, with $125, that you could be the next owner and operator of the outside in. Um, David, is there anything else that you want to mention on, on the radio? You know, there absolutely is, Harry. One, one final thought with this is that uh, while our reviews and our response has been overwhelmingly positive, there have been a few people out there which are kind of uh, um, skeptical about it. And one of the things that I say to people in this, and maybe this goes back to what you and I were talking about, entrepreneurialism, our belief in this is that we're going to change someone's life for the better. Someone doesn't even realize how much better their life is going to be in a little bit. And, and secondly with that is that what this contest is doing is it's offering someone the opportunity to have faith in, their, in themselves to spend their own $125 to change their own life. And they're not asking anybody for anything. Right. No, and I think I think that's a good point because I think that uh, you know we're so conditioned now to see something like this that is outside the box or is an alternative sort of way to sell or pass on a business, and we think that there's got to be a catch and there's got to be a there's got to be some hidden reason that you're doing it, and you know I think there's a you know. W- if the business, if, if the restaurant wasn't any good and if your reviews weren't as good as they are or if you didn't have a customer base or if you did, were forced to shut down, I could see that, that sort of claim maybe having some kind of weight. But the fact is that what you're talking about, and I think it's important, you're talking about a successful, fully operational restaurant that's going to be open, I assume, until the day of the changeover, until it passes along, and hopefully it will be seamless. Absolutely. And you really are giving people an incredible opportunity to just say, hey, you know what? Well, you know what's next for me? What's next for me is that I'm going to go to Arizona or maybe I'm already in Arizona or maybe I'm in Mongolia and I'm going to write this essay because I want to run my own restaurant. And here's someone who's giving me that opportunity because I could never come up with the hundreds of thousands of dollars to do this on my own. Harry, you know, one of the final thoughts in this that my wife and I have talked about, and, and again, I alluded to it on my website, is the fact is, is that I understand that for a lot of people, maybe for someone who doesn't live in this immediate area or even in Arizona who is, has to make a, a life-changing move to do it, you may realize after a year, you know what, I'm really lousy at running a restaurant. I can't do it. Sure. 
but you still own the property. You, yep. I mean, you, you own the property free and clear, which yeah. then means that anybody who decides to do it after a year or however much time they decide, then they can, then they can go ahead and sell the property. And the fact is, is that the winner has nothing invested in it. So right. they can sell it for, you know, 25000 up to what I estimate the property to be worth well over $400,000. Sure. I mean, and then, I, you know, for me, I feel like what would be an even better story would be that the next person runs it for 20 years and then does the same thing and has another essay contest. I, I did a little research about other businesses that have changed hands in this way, and I think you had alluded to it as well. I think there was a, a bed and breakfast or a cafe in Maine where right. the proprietor last year held an essay contest and did the same thing because that's how she had gotten the business in the first place. And the thing is, Harry, is that when she first got it in 1993, it was long before the advent of the Internet and social media and yeah. the ability to get the word out. So, I mean, I found it amazing. And, you know, and as I had said in, in several spots, it's not like I came up with this idea. I yeah. saw this idea and I did see that bed and breakfast in Maine. And I thought, you know, what a great way to go about doing this. And, uh, and, and for us, I mean, we like to think of it as a, as a pay it forward sort of situation. Because what we're doing is we're giving someone the opportunity that they would never have otherwise and, uh, and to be in charge of their own destiny and hopefully, you know, raise great kids the way that we did and, and have a good life the way that we have. Well, I, like I said, I commend you. Um, I think it's amazing. If I ever, if I make it to Southwest Arizona, I definitely will uh, I'll let you know. And please, if you're in Brooklyn, um, please come and visit us. Absolutely, I will. And thank you for spending time with me today. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Feast Your Ears today. Big thank you to Kristen Baylor, who's my producer here, and David Tattashore for engineering this show every week. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org. Follow me on Instagram at thefoodballer. I'll talk to you next week. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.